Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Super Bowl Sunday. Who wants the Rams to win? Okay, one. Who, who wants the Bengals to win? Anybody but, anybody but the Rams. The enemy of the, my enemy is my friend. Now the big thing, who's excited for the commercials? That's the real deal. Commercials are undefeated. I love me some good commercials. And then last but not least, who's excited for the concert? Let's go. I'm eight years old. I get my first Walkman. The first cassette tape I get on my birthday for that Walkman was Dre Day from Dr. Dre featuring a young rapper named Snoop Dogg. Okay? Um, it had parental visor on it. My parents didn't know what that meant, so I remember putting the cassette in and be like, if they knew what I was listening to at eight years old right now. Um, but, man, I, I grew up on, uh, with Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. Uh, and Tupac, R.I.P. Um, but um, it's going to be a great, great, uh, great time. The, uh, I saw a meme. Uh, it's a good joke going around now. They planned a football game around the concert today. That's all I got. That's my best joke today. So if you don't like that one, I'm just kidding. Um, hey, if you're streaming, what's up, what's up? Enjoy today. This is going to be way better than the Super Bowl because we're about to talk about Jesus. Uh, we're in week three of This Is Our God. Woo, how do we like our new worship song? So good. So good. If you know them, then you're going to want to praise them. Um, so we did Genesis. Uh, then we did Exodus. Leviticus, past that. Um, here's why. It's like it complements the other four books. If you really want me to preach a Leviticus message to you, let's get coffee and we'll double down on it, okay? We'll go through the book of Leviticus together. How's that sound? Okay, we'll talk about the law, trimming the beard, not eating things on the bottom of the ocean. It's going to be really fun. Sound good? All right. It's a great book. It really is. The heart of God is to protect us and guide us. Um, but we're in the book of Numbers today. Come on now, book of Numbers. And now this isn't a book about math. That's not why it's called Numbers. I remember the book of Numbers and the book of Job are the two books I didn't want to read because I didn't want to get a job and I didn't like math, okay? Found out it was the book of Job and the book of Numbers is not a math book, okay? That's not God's heart. It's not to do some math equation. But it does have the name Numbers because for the first time, this crowd of Israelites, three million, they actually get counted because people count to God. They get named they get put in tribes. They start to learn their history. You and the tribe of Judah, they get put in community. So it's an amazing book. Uh, another um, term for the, the book of Numbers is called the book of wilderness. Because for 40 years, the people of Israel are so stubborn, so, so doubt-filled, so, uh, so sinful that they cannot say yes to God and make God bigger than anything else. And so they wander for 40 years. So it's called the book of wilderness because they just hang out in the wilderness for 40 years. Another uh, term a theologian calls this book is the book of journeying. The book of journeying. And the reason why it's called the book of journeying is because what was supposed to be an 11-day journey, the Israelites turned into 40 years of murmuring. Woo, 11-day journey turned into 40 years of murmuring. I've met way too many Christians that are stuck. Way too many Christians that murmur better than they move. Way too many Christians that complain more than they actually can actually celebrate other people. And so my, my prayer today is that you would grab this prayer real quick. These Israelites knew God. They had tabernacle service, pillar of fire, the ark. They knew God. And I, I just, I'm going to submit it to you. I know the quote so well, I don't have to read it. I, I, it it's in me right now. I want to share with you. It doesn't matter how much you know uh, about God and know about his scripture. It's how much you live out scripture and how much you live like your God. It's not enough to know God. It's not enough to know about God. 
It's about how you live out scripture. It's not about knowing scripture. It's about living out scripture. You will be stuck in the wilderness. You will murmur for 40 years until you live out scripture. You know scripture. You know you're supposed to forgive, but live out forgiveness. Ooh, that's going to move you. You, you. you know about generosity, but live out generosity. It's going to move you. You know about serving and you know the, the verse, those who serve will be refreshed. You know that verse. You live out that verse. You're actually going to get moved into refreshment. So stop knowing verses, start living verses, and you'll actually get to the promise. Can I get an amen for that? I'm not even in my message yet. Now, a little bit of context real quick. Uh, we know Genesis, Exodus, I taught on it. The, the, the Israelites in Exodus were taken out of Egypt. Now, God's promise was to take them not only out of, out of Egypt, but to get them to the promised land. Promised land does not represent heaven in the story of Numbers. It represents their spiritual inheritance. And in the New Testament, we have our own promised land. It's in, in Ephesians, it's throughout uh, the epistles. You'll see it in the New Testament. And it's our spiritual inheritance. What We are co-heirs now because Christ paid the price for us. So we have a spiritual inheritance of an abundant life right now. Your marriage has an inheritance. Have you cashed in on it yet? Your life has an inheritance. Have you cashed in on it yet? Your, 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 your joy, your peace, there's an inheritance. Have you cashed in on it yet? A lot of Christians they haven't cashed in on it yet because you never made it the place to cash in on it. And so the title of my message today is The God That Moves Me. The God that moves me. God wants to move you. Do you want to get moved? Will you bow your heads? Lord, I thank you. I thank you so much for what you're doing at Mission Church. And Oh, Lord, you want to move people today. You want to move them from captivity to freedom. You want to move them from death to life. You want to move them from, from, from a life of lack to a life of abundance. Oh, a life of nothingness to your presence, which is everything. Oh, may my words fall to the floor and your words soar. God, we need you. We need you. And everybody said... Now, one of my favorite things about the first two services now is my wife's not in here, so I can preach a little different sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. Um, so why is it so hard for us to move? You got to ask yourself, why don't we move? Like, like so the, the Thomas is the, the God that moves me, but if this is God's attribute, this is God's characteristic, this is God's purpose, then why don't a lot of Christians actually move forward? Why do they stay in one spot? Why do they stay here? Studies show that uh, moving is one of the top three most stressful things a human being can do. It interchanges with death and divorce. Sometimes moving's above death. Like in different polls, you're like, hold on a second. Yeah, I'd rather die than move, is what people are saying. That's how stressful it is for them. Because the reality is, is moving all of their junk to a new place that is unknown, they don't want to mess with it. They're like, I just, I'll take, I'll settle for this, because this seems like a risk. Can I tell you something real quick? If you want the promises of God, you're going to have to risk some stuff. You ready to risk some stuff? So, so, so that's why we don't move. Another reason they say that the other top three reasons are just finances. The, the reality is, is finances have a bigger grip on you than you think. Hobbies is another one. They have a bigger grip on your life than you think. The your routine of how you live life. Oh, God wants to move you out of a circle and hop you from peak to peak, but you want to live in a circle. Get out of those hobbies and start living for Jesus, okay? And the third thing simply this is that your identity is wrapped in the wrong things. When you don't see yourself as a child of God, you won't move like a child of God. So, so those are the top three things that don't move you. So, so what, uh, what happens when we move? Well, Rachel and I have been married almost 10 years, 10 years in April. Come on now. Come on. We did it. We did it. Mom, we did it. Um, and so um, uh, we moved like five times our first like six years of marriage. L.A. to here, one bedroom into a two bedroom, uh, two bedroom into a duplex, like back and forth. We were moving so many times. Oh, actually, one bedroom to a one bedroom, one bedroom, one bedroom, one bedroom to two bedroom, two bedroom to a, a duplex. That's actually our first five moves. So our first five moves were, were, were just crazy. And I didn't know they were the most stressful things, but I could have told you that. Like, hello, I did it. And the reason why it was so stressful for us is our two-bedroom apartment, we were moving into our first like, place that wasn't apartment. It was going to be a duplex. They call them here a studio home, so it's a nicer name. So we're moving to a three-bedroom studio home. And so I go to U-Haul. I get a four-bedroom uh, four U-Haul. I'm like, give you your biggest truck. I don't want to have to jam things in there. I just want to be able to throw it in there and just move. 
The problem is, is when you have a two-bedroom apartment, my wife, Rachel not in here, right? She's a huge hoarder, okay? My wife hoards, okay? This lady, yeah, no, oh, I, I'm just keeping it real, keeping it real. I was forgetting to say, my wife holds, she, it's hard for her to throw away anything. She holds on to all kinds, statues, we don't even know where to put them in the house, you know, um, just like weird stuff. Now, I say she's a hoarder. The reality is, is I am too. When she first uh, met me, I used to put this mail in a cabinet and it would just be all the mail for the whole year. Cause I, I just, I, was like, Could I, I didn't know, I didn't want to throw it away. What if something important was in there? I also am a little bit of a hoarder. Don't judge me. I'm just telling you who I am. Okay. I was like, can, can we get real real quick? So, so if you have two hoarders who are married and you get a four bedroom U-Haul, guess what? We couldn't fill up the four bedroom U-Haul. I and mean, we filled up the four bedroom U-Haul with our two bedroom. There wasn't enough room. A two bedroom, we're like, you tell me I got to bring back this four bedroom again to this two bedroom because I couldn't fit everything in it. I was so upset. I was mad at me, mad at Rachel. I was like, babe, we got to change our life. We got to change our life. And the reality is, if I could just be honest with you, when you start to move, you realize how much junk you've acquired in your life. Now you're like, oh, Tyler, you're a hoarder. That's gross. Some of you, you emotional hoarders. If God moved you right now, the emotional things you've been holding on to from your childhood, from your past church experience, from a past relationship. Whoa, if we could see how many emotional things you've hoarded in your life, it's going to hold you back. God brings a big old four-bedroom like, sorry, I can't fit all my junk. The reality is God doesn't want you to fit all your junk. He wants you to leave your junk behind. Oh, he, wants you, he doesn't want you to put it in the, in the truck. And so, and so what happened, now I, I shared my worst moment with you. Can I share my best moment with you now? Last year, Rachel and I bought our first house. Red Sea, hey, if you buy a house in the Bay Area, it is a Red Sea moment. It would be in scripture. Tyler stood before this house, took his staff, God split the Red Seas, bam, offer accepted. We bought a house in the Bay Area, okay? Um, never thought we were gonna buy a house in the Bay Area. I'm very thankful. It's kind of a miracle story. I'm very thankful for that. So we bought the house. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do it different this time. It was the easiest move we ever had in our life. So easy from our three bedroom to our new four bedroom. You know how we did it? I hired movers. <laughs> yep, my address is this, and my new, yep. Come at this time? Cool. Open the door. They walked in, and I'm watching these guys. They're surgical in how they pack the truck. There was this vanity that we bought off of, like, um, Joss and Maine. Didn't realize it was, like, 500 pounds. Like, literally, like, the heaviest thing I've ever lived in my life. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, we, we're not going to be able to put this in our house because we bought it and we got it delivered, and he's going to second floor. This one, we can't move this. We can't move this. And I remember giving the guys that came in, if I give you an extra 100 bucks, could you actually take this and put it upstairs? I was like, yeah, like he didn't, he would have done it for free. I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't get, like keep the hundred, whatever. And so, so I watched them like, I wonder how they're going to move this uh, vanity, this huge vanity with sinks. And they're just surgical. They, they wrap it first and then they put it on the dolly and they are moving this thing. Like it's like just something that would be like a chair to move around and something I couldn't even move with all of my girth, all of my raw. I was like, you know what? Cause they're good at moving. They're professional movers. Can, can I submit this to you real quick? You're terrible at moving. The reason why all your moves have been so stressful and so terrible is because you've been trying to move yourself. If you actually allowed God to be your mover, to be the one that would move you, it would be the best story you ever had to share. Hey, the first five tries, I tried to move myself. It was terrible. Oh, it was atrocious. But then I allowed God to be the mover of my life, and it was the greatest experience of my life. He left the junk behind that needed to be left behind. He carried things I never could have carried that I knew I needed to bring with me, but I didn't know how to bring with me. And he is the one that moved me from here, woo, now to an abundant life, an inheritance in a marriage, an inheritance in my life. There's something to be said about people who know that God can move them. Amen? So it's tough. I'm going to give you four points. Four steps, and I don't like four steps because it's not like self, oh, four steps to help me move to my promise. Um, they're four non-negotiable truths. Can I use that term instead? Four non-negotiable truths that if you see how God moves the people of Israel in the book of Numbers and you actually take those truths and allow them to be a part of your life, 
God will move you and you'll learn from their failures and you'll actually live the life you're supposed to live. Does that sound good? First one is this. The first thing that God does to move his people, the professional mover, all movers, is he gets the people named and organized. Gets them named and organized. Can I show it to you? Numbers one. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. He said, take a census of the whole Israelite community by their uh, clans and families, listing every man by name, one by one. You and Aaron are to count according to the division of all men in Israel who are 20 years or older and more able to serve in the army. He goes, all right, God don't even hide it. First thing I need to know, numbers one, how many fighters we got in the group? Three million people. I don't even know the crowd. I need to know how many people are fighters. You find out 600,000 change are fighters. Because God knows, hey, this journey, we're going to need some fighters. This church, we're going to need some fighters. We're going to need some prayer warriors. We're going to need some servants. We're going to need some givers. We're going to need some gatherers. We're going to need some great forgivers. You cannot move the church forward without fighters. Yeah. Woo. So yeah, I need to know the fighters. Let's keep going. Numbers two. So now God goes in Numbers two. He goes, yeah, I want to arrange the tribes. So here's what happens. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, the Israelites are to camp around the tent of meeting uh, some distance from it, each of them under the standard, holding the banners of their family. On the east toward the sunrise, the division of the camp of Judah are to encamp under the standard, the leader of the people of Judah, uh, Nishan, son of uh, Amadad. Uh, his division numbers 74,600. So he takes the ark, one square. We're going to put Judah here, 74,600. Uh, another square right next to him. The tribe of Iskar will camp next to them. The leader of the people of Iskar is Nathaniel and Zohar. His division numbers 54,400. What is God doing? What are you doing, God? You're just making squares of people? All right, Judah, boop. Iskar, boop. He does all the tri tribes. Here's what he's doing. He knows a crowd cannot move together. He knows that a crowd, have you ever seen a crowd at a football game? They go to a game and they all disperse their places. But he goes, I need to take a crowd of people that are 3 million that saw themselves as slaves and as a tool, and I need to show them community and family again. So I'm gonna take a crowd and make community. I'm gonna teach them about, you are the tribe of Judah. You, there is an inheritance on your, there was a family inheritance because of what Judah did. Now you get a receiver from Judah. The promise on Judah's life is now on your tribe's life. Then you have this tribe, the tribe of Issachar. Can I tell you something real quick? As the church gets bigger, we must get smaller. And so we say, hey, Israel's getting bigger. I must get it smaller again because I'm not a God of crowds. I'm a God of community. And so I want to bless community. I want you to find people in it. Because when you get community, you find solidarity. When you get community, you find a standard in your life. So I want to get community. Not only do I want to have a community of people, I need to know the core of all the community. And these are my fighters. So if I'm just being honest, what he's doing, he's building a church. He's building a movement. And what we do here at Mission Church, every Sunday, I talk about it all the time with our staff, we got to get people in the crowd, in the community. And people in the community, into the core of the church. And so I remember starting the church, my mentor told me, and I'm, this is going to sound kind of rough, bear with me. Uh, my, my pastor said, you need to know your army. I said, know my army? I, like, well, I, know I'm, I, I get it, Tyler, you know, you're two years old, you got about 800 people coming, that's great. But who's your army? I was like, our army's 800 on Sunday. No, that's, that's a crowd. That's a crowd. You had to go to battle, but all 800 come with you. I'd like to think so. But if you did something wrong, would all of them forgive you? I'd like to think so. Yeah. If you, if, you, if you could get a building the next day, but you needed to raise $3 million, would all of them be ready to go, I'm ready to give to go get that house? I'd like to think so. He says, here's how you're going to know your army. Throw a prayer night. Throw a night once a month. Of course, COVID happened right after he told me, so we couldn't do it for a while. Um, he goes, throw a prayer night, you'll know your army. So we throw a first night. hundred and some people come, there's our army. Hold on a second. Tyler, I don't go to first night. Am I not in the army? Is that what you're saying? No, time out, okay. We do Tuesday morning. 
we have a team prayer thing. It's another thing where I try to find out who's in our army. Because you know what we do at Tuesday, uh, Tuesday prayer? We battle for the region. We battle for families. We battle against the gates of hell. We pray for God's kingdom to come as will be done. On first night, we tell God he is worthy of our praise. We battle for revival. Uh, Pre-service prayer. We prayed for lost people. Today, we came at 815. The army showed up and prayed for you. Prayed that if you were a sleepy Christian, that just doing your own thing, that you would wake up to the promises of God and you would not wander in the wilderness. We prayed for that today. Right now, you feel maybe a little convicted. That's a good thing. Oh, God's doing something in your heart. You're like, why am I living like this? I'm not supposed to live like this. God's a good mover. I'm going to start moving today. That's happening to you spiritually right now. I love that because people are praying for you this morning. Now, I need to smooth this over a little bit because the reality is, is that the army isn't just people who show up to first night or team prayer or pre-service prayer. The army is the gatherers, the givers, and the growers of the church. The people that are in the house and they are rowing with the church. Let me just uh, share an illustration real quick. Uh, Wayne Cordero, one of my, uh, I'd say, heroes when I was a young Christian, pastored a church about 10,000 in Hawaii. 10,000 people in Hawaii planted hundreds of churches throughout the islands of Hawaii. Literally a movement got, got moved throughout that, uh, that state. And uh, what he says when he started planting the church, uh, canoeing was really popular in Hawaii, like competitive canoeing. So you get about 10 to 20 people in a canoe. depends how big it is. And so we got in a big canoe with a ton of people. And the instructor said, okay, I'm going to teach you how to do it. Now, Wayne had seen uh, the really good ones in the canoes, and they fly. I mean, they're just cutting through the water. Just whoo, looks like wind's at their back. It looks effortless. None of them are tired. He's like, man, I want, a, I want a canoe like that. And so he gets in the canoe, and the instructor says, okay, here's what we're going to do, everybody. About 15, 16 people in the boat. I want you to paddle as hard as you can for as long as you can. And let's see how long it takes us to paddle a mile. And so Wayne's like, I got this. You know, he's a young guy, strong, strapping. He goes, hit it. You know, so they, they hit the clock, and Wayne is just starting to paddle. <laughs> I'm starting to get tired, tense. He's like, okay, I, I got to switch. He says he goes to switch. People are hitting each other in the head with the, the paddle because they've never paddled with other people. They're just, bam, bam, you're hitting me. Ow, ow, knocking people out. And so another person, so he switches, like, okay, then my arm, he says, like, in the last just a minute, he's like, I can't do anymore. His body was burning. He's like, barely getting on. Finally, almost two minutes in, stop, one mile. Everybody looks like, man, this looks so easy from afar, but being in the boat, it's way harder once you get in the boat. Instructor goes, okay, we're going to try something different this time. I'm going to have the lead person paddle at a pace that I tell them to, nice and smooth pace, and I want you to follow the person ahead of you how they paddle. And let's do that at that pace, and let's see what happens. And so the instructor says, all right, Mark, get set, literally, go. They start paddling, start paddling. And so they're on the side, and Wayne, Wayne describes, you know, the oars are going in the water like a hot knife goes through butter, just nice and smooth. You know, it feels like a pro already. They're going through there. He feels like they're only like 20, 30 seconds in. He's not tired anymore. They're flying, going way faster. And then the, the instructor goes, stop. And he goes, hold on. We, we're supposed to go a mile. He's like, you went a mile. You smashed your old, but I wasn't paddling. No, you weren't paddling hard. You were doing it as a team. You were moving together. And the reality is, is the more and more he saw this, he would go out to the beach and he would just watch people in the boats and watch how they paddle and, and just see different groups. There's, there would be a group in, in the boat paddling and 10 of them would be paddling and the other five would just be like this, looking around. <laughs> oh, there's a whale. Hey, mom. You know, they, still, they feel like they're allowed to just be in the boat and just have the other people do all the work. And at the very end, man, we sure did go a long way today, didn't we? No, not we. We paddled. You looked a long way today, buddy. Okay. 
So you got five people just not paddling in the boat. He said, so you see a, a boat just, you know, not going as far as the other group that was just paddling beautifully together. Then he saw another group where somebody would want to go left because they want to go see a whale. Another person want to go right because they want to go see the, the beautiful black rock of the coral uh, at the island. And so, so you'd have one person put their oar in the water to try to turn the boat, but the other person trying to paddle to go left. And they were just stuck in a center because they wanted to go two different directions. And then it comes back to the church. And so if I could tell you what the army is, the army is the people who are in the boat, who are rowing. I'm not the lead rower. God's the lead rower. And we row with a pace. And we serve with a pace. And we love with a pace. And we give with a pace. And when you have people in the boat and everybody's rowing, the church goes way further, way faster. It does way more in a community. It starts to move in the community. It maybe even becomes a movement because people are paddling and not just looking around. Some of you, you're looking loose season, it's over. Today I declare it. Today, not, not to shame you, you are missing out if you're a looky-loo. You are, I, I guarantee you're missing out if you're not a part of this community. If you aren't in a small group, if you aren't serving, if you aren't a part of the team, you're missing out. You maybe saw some cool things sitting there looking around. Service is good today. You get to start serving. You start to meet people. You start to pray with people. You start becoming great friends. It's not a good service anymore. It's a good life. Church is not a good service. It's supposed to be an abundant life. So if you could be a person today, just think about it. Get in the boat and start paddling. Amen? Amen? So God gets them in the boat. He gets them organized so they can start paddling together. I was a family of six. Just trying to get to Eastern Washington for our car ride. It would be, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I want us in the back seat. No, I want us in the back seat. I couldn't imagine having a car full of three million Israelites saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I want to go back to Egypt yet. Um, so God had to organize them. He sat them in all their seats, Okay. Next, the next thing we look at is, so you need to get organized and get named. So we are organized and get named. You gotta be in a tribe. I, I need to tell you something, you in a tribe. You in the Mission Church tribe. For however long you're here, this, this is your people. If you actually want us to be a part of your life, we wanna be a part of your life. The Bible calls the church the adopted family of God. This is your adopted family. Brothers and sisters, I know that's intense language, but that's literally what the church is supposed to be. That's the standard here, I'm not going any lower. Sound good? Second thing that we need, if God wants to move you, is you need to receive the blessing. Receive the blessing. So number six, uh, it's this uh, beautiful um, verse, very famous. It's the benediction uh, verse, you can say that, uh, if you've been around church at all. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace so, that you, uh, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. The Lord bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you. Woo! May the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you. You know, in church you can hear that word blessings. Blessed, blessed, blessed. But if you really don't know what the word means, especially in this context, it, you can't even start the journey until you know this. So the first 10 chapters of Numbers, they're not moving yet. It is organization and it is uh, him charging them and letting them know who they are. 10 chapters, no moving yet, just preparation. So uh, he says, I need to tell them, I'm going to bless them, and I'm going to keep them. My face will shine upon them, and my name will be on them. Oh, it's a beautiful benediction. So if I could just give you the three things that a blessing represented that they, they would have understood back then is this. The firstborn would get the blessing. Now, what do you mean? Like, you're blessed. No, this was such a big deal. If you know the story of Jacob, he saw they were willing to, uh, Jacob was willing to risk his life, willing to be, uh, risk to be cursed even over it. The blessing was that big of a deal. Three things happened in the blessing. First thing is this, is when a father would bless you, it was a father saying, you're good. It'd be like a, um, a person checking out a house saying, I approve of this house, it's a good house. So it's you hearing for the first time, you are good. Why is that so important? The father wouldn't give the firstborn the inheritance just any time. 
Hey, you two-year-old, boom, here's the blessing. You two-year-old, here you go. Here's all my inheritance. No, it's once the, the man had grown up, had shown that he's a man that could steward the inheritance, said, you are good now, I see it. The, the blessing was subjective, but also objective. It was personal, but it was also emotional. There was this connection with it. So he goes, hey, you are now good. So it's the first, all of us want to hear we're good. Let's be honest. Some of you really respect or love. They tell you you're good. They give you a compliment. It means way more than anybody else's comment. Can we agree with that? So from the father that you desire most from, he says, you are good. That's the first part of the blessing. Second part of the blessing, what it represents is, hey, not only are you good, I promise good things will come. I promise that goodness will chase you and mercy will follow you for the rest of your days of your life. Goodness is ahead of you. Come on, everybody say goodness. goodness. This is for you, come on. But the third thing, ooh, this is the kicker. This is the kicker in the blessing. God didn't say the benediction was this. Tell the people, all right, bless you. Good luck on the journey. It's a good, hey, it's gonna be a fun one. Have fun, you three million. Walk that way, see you later. That's not what he does. He says, okay, I'm gonna say you're good. I'm gonna promise good things. But the last part of the blessing, it's the big one. I am committed to give you everything I got as a father, uh, wealth-wise, emotional-wise, wisdom, I'll give you everything I got so you can actually get to the goodness I'm promising you. So the, 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 the blessing is God's commitment to the blessing. Woo! Come on, that is, that is something that's making, okay, so God, does that mean why you sent Jesus? That you would give Jesus so we could actually have goodness. He gave the wealth of heaven so you could actually have heaven and have your promise. There's something to be said about that. Let's, let's, let's double down on this. Uh, can I use a Bridget Jones diary illustration with you? Okay, cool, sweet. Um, not saying I ever saw Bridget Jones diary, but if I had, this would be a part I remember. I'm not saying I enjoyed the movie when my wife made me watch it, but maybe I did, okay? Maybe I thought it was kind of adorable. Um, it was the TBS version, don't judge. Okay, um, uh, so uh, why is it so important uh, to get the blessing? So um, if you know anything about the Bridget Jones diary movie, uh, it's, there's this moment in the early movie where she's alone on New Year's Eve. She's alone. Her life's terrible. Basically, she's in her wilderness season. And at this moment, she's like, I've had it. I don't want my wilderness. I want my promise. Now, her promise, she thinks, is a man. And I could fill in the blank for a bunch of people in this room. Right now, you think your promised land is a person or a career or a place. No, your, your promise is God, the inheritance of heaven. But that, so, so she got her inheritance wrong. But she's trying to figure out, how do I get out? I need to move myself. So the first thing she does is she goes, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write down a handful of things I need to do so I can move myself from the wilderness to my promise. Here's the first one. You ready? She says, I'm going to buy books by unreadable uh, literary authors to put impressively on my shelf. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to present that I'm an impressive person by putting impressive books around me. I'm going to surround myself with impressive things so people think I'm impressive. Okay? So that's step one is what she does. Step two. Develop inner poise and authority and sense of self as a woman complete without a boyfriend since the very best way to obtain a boyfriend. She says, okay, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna act like I don't need a man so I can get a man. Because no man wants a needy girl. He wants a self-sufficient girl. Inner poise, I don't need you. I can go to the movie by myself. I got my girls, me, myself, and I. I'm good, fella. Okay, she says, I'm gonna show that I don't need a boyfriend so I can get me a boyfriend, okay? So, so that's step two. Step three, be assured, receptive, a responsive woman of substance, knowing my sense of self comes not from what other people think. She goes, I'm, I'm going to be a self-assured person, not from what other people think of me, but from, from, from myself? Wait, that can't be right. It's this moment in the movie where, where Bridget Jones literally says, okay, I'm going to be a self-assured person. I'm going to have confidence, and how I'm going to have it is not from other people. I'm going to get it from my... my the book says to get it from myself? Well, that can't be right. 
And what she's doing is she's telling on herself, she's pointing the need for the gospel because if you don't get the blessing from God, here's the two places you're gonna try to find it. You're gonna try to find it from someone or from your inner self. You're gonna say, I need somebody to tell me I'm gonna be good. I need somebody to tell me I'm, I am good and that good things are gonna come. And I need somebody to be committed to help me to be good and be committed to my good things. So we looked at it in a spouse, we look at it in a career or a group of people. Oh, I need you to be my blessing moment. Tell me you're gonna bless me, I'm good and good things are gonna come. Or you say, you become your own self. That's it. I am good. Good things are coming because I make good things. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. So you start to have soundtracks, little catchy phrases. You post too many things on Instagram about how great things are. Trying to self-talk yourself. Or you actually do what you need to do and you come to God and say, Lord, may I receive the blessing. Before I even move, may I know that you smile on me, that you approve of me that you're committed to my goodness, that you're committed to me being everything you called me to be. Oh, Lord, I, I, say, I say thank you for what you gave me in Jesus. Oh, I start today knowing that I've already started with the wealth of everything, and now I move forward, not in fear, but with faith and confidence because you already approve of who I am. Can I get an amen for that? Oh, you need that blessing in your life. Trust me, it's holding you back. You don't have it. C.S. Lewis said this, a person who habitually praises and compliments and affirms is a person filled with inner health. A person who's always finding fault and always criticizing everybody is the opposite. AKA, the one that has been blessed, you can tell it's on their lips. They're just blessing everybody. They're just praising everybody. Bless people, bless people. Yeah. Curse people, curse people. Look at our society right now. Look at the media. If you don't know the Lord, you're just cursing everything else because that's what you feel on the inside. Find a blessed person. They're going to start praising th uh, people. They're going to start celebrating people. Man, there's something to be said. When you actually have the blessing in your life, it changes how you talk to people. All right, uh, step three. We're almost done. Uh, get some courage. You need to get some courage. Numbers 13. Numbers 13. Uh, if your Bible's turned there, if not on the screen. The Lord now said to Moses, send out the men to explore the land of Canaan, the land that I'm giving you to the Israelites. Send one leader uh, from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was a report to Moses. We have entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country. Uh, a bountiful country. It's a beautiful country. Oh, so right now, if I'm being honest, all we've done so far established is you need to find out that you have a name. That every person here, you have a name to God. He knows you. He loves you. He's organizing you. He's placing you in a house of God. So we got that part. You need to know that you are blessed, that he's chosen you. He's blessed you. He's committed to that. So we know those two things. And so now you're on the process of like, okay, I'm going to explore this. Well, this whole Christian thing, it seems really fruitful and bountiful. Well, it does seem beautiful. So, you, so they explored the prompt. So it looks bountiful. It looks beautiful. A land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. Oh, Tyler, it looks good, but culture just makes it so hard for me to live for God. I don't know if I can do it. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the sons of Anak, the Amalekites, uh, living in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, the uh, Cellulites, all the other Cellulites, okay? Um, it's my, hey, youth pastor joke. Rachel's not in here. I won't do the 11 a.m. because she'll be in the room. But if she's not in the room, I make jokes I'm not allowed to make. Okay, okay, here we go. Um, I'll grow up one day. Okay, here we go. Uh, the Canaanites live along the, the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. Man, you need some people in your life. And I, lo I, love, I love Caleb here, but you know what Jesus is? Jesus is a better Caleb. All the prophets point to Jesus. So you got Caleb saying, hey, we can certainly conquer it. When Jesus comes on the scene, all he's doing over and over again with the disciples and with you and I, he's saying, you can conquer fear. You can conquer lust. 
You can conquer adultery because all things are impossible. With me, all things are possible. I can conquer anything. If you got me, we can conquer any land. If you have me, we can conquer anything. You need to know that Jesus is with you saying, you can conquer it. You need people in life that say, you can conquer it. Hey, can I tell you something? You can conquer lust. The abundance of marriage that you're being held back because of lust, you can conquer it and have the abundance of marriage you're supposed to have. Oh, the, the fear that you have, you can conquer fear. Get around people that conquered these things to show you how they did them. And guess how they did it? They did it with Jesus. You can conquer these things. But the other men who had explored the land with them disagreed. We can't go up against uh, them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread the bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We saw giants there in descendants of Anak. Next to them we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what we thought too. Basically, faith shows you the opportunity. Fear just lists all the obstacles. Faith shows you, whoo, it's a beautiful land. Fear goes, yeah, but what if this happens? What if this happens? Oh, and let's put another one just in case. Fear list can get really long. You know, I was thinking, what else if I stubbed my toe before I showed up? You know, fear, 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 fear. So fear lists all the obstacles, faces the opportunity. So why do you need to get some courage? Where does the courage thing come from? Anybody else here, you rank sin? Does anybody rank sin? Am I the only one that does it? I, I do it a lot. Here's what I mean by that. Big ones that I never want to do. Murder, staying away from that one, Okay. Adultery, staying away from that one, okay? Theft, staying away from that one, okay? Uh, lying, I'm I, I not, not a fan of it at all. Lying, I want to stay away from that one. So I got some big ones. And I remember even going to youth group for the first time, eighth grade. My buddies picked me up. I didn't get saved at this youth group. I just came to hang out. Um, my buddy was picking me up. It's the first time I started getting exposed to church. And one of the first kids I met, met like, had this funny joke he'd always say, like, don't you lie, because it says in Revelation 21 that liars go to hell. You want the burning like a sulfur? I was like, this is the first verse I learned in church was don't lie or else you get the burning lake of sulfur. Thanks, bro. Thanks a lot, man. Now, it's a famous verse. I want to read to you real quick. It talks about this, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual moral, the, 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 the ones who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and the liars, they'll all be consigned to the fire lake of furnace. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. I've always read that. I've never seen the first one. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the, the cowards, the murderers, all of them, you ain't never going to get to the promise. So right when I read that, I was like, whoo, time out. Because I am not like the most brave guy on the planet. To be honest, I'm kind of, I, I run with a mace in my hand on my 6'4 male. Okay, like I literally go on a run to my neighborhood and I always have a mace in my hand. Okay, because I'm afraid of dogs. Okay, I, dog comes up, mace your dog. Okay, um, I'm literally running around the neighborhood. I'm always looking, okay, if a big, a big pit bull came out, I could jump on top of that car. Okay, this is, I, I don't, it's fear. I, I, I got bit by a dog when I was a little kid, never left me. Hello, I got some baggage, pray for me. Okay, uh, anyways, so, uh, so, so cowards. So, so I was like, man, like, like what, is it, what does it mean to be a coward then, Lord? If a coward doesn't inherit the kingdom of God, like, what does that even mean? And so I started studying, and I want to kind of simplify what a coward simply means and really why, um, uh, why you're going to miss out. First one is this, is you've made something bigger than God. That's what a coward is. A coward has made worldly things bigger than God. And if God is smaller than things of this world, you'll never inherit the things of God because you'll go backwards instead of forwards. So, so cow cowards make things bigger than God. Second thing is this, cowards orient their whole life around fear. Your whole week, your whole life is oriented around the things that you're afraid of. You're not led by faith. You're not led by the Spirit. Fear is your leader. How in the world will you ever walk into the things of God if fear is the thing that leads your week and leads your life? Uh, let, let, me, let me put it this way. You got to describe, so what is the thing that you're afraid of? It's always a giant, and, and, but the giant doesn't always look like uh, the giant's Anak or Goliath. A giant is this. It is an assignment on your life to discourage, to distract, or destroy your inheritance. 
It is something that has been put in front of you to tell you to go backwards. I remember being a little, uh, a little Christian, 18 years old, barely saved, started serving in kids' ministry. And uh, it was my first little Sunday in kids' ministry. I came to help. I didn't realize I came to learn and came to get preached to. And so they were preaching on fear that, that, that Sunday. And so they, they put us in little groups, and I had about you know, 10 sixth graders in my group. It was a bigger church. There was a good amount of sixth graders in the room. And we were going to guess what the acronym of fear represented. So the, what's, the, what's the letter F right, represent in fear? And so the, we, you, you have to like be as a group of kids. Like, what do you think? What do you think, Helper Tyler? I'm like, you guys, um, fear. Um, maybe it's like fake fun. Let's go with um, uh, fun. Let's go with fun. Kids go, fun. Nope, sorry, group two. No fun. Kids are like, ah, Tyler. I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. First word goes up, false. Okay, first, first word's false. Okay, false on fear. Fear acronym. So we've got false. Okay, the E. What's E? Um, okay, so the kids are like, what do, you, what do you think, Helper Tyler? I'm like, I don't know, like energy? Like maybe like, like, like you find energy somewhere else? And they're like, okay, uh, energy. Nope, sorry, sorry, group two, not energy. I was like, golly, I'm killing it right now. Sorry, kids. I'm a brand new believer too. I don't even know why I'm serving right now. Um, I just know Jesus is awesome. And so the, the next word is false, evidence. And so the next to, I said, kids, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm here to learn, actually. I, I need to find out what fear is, actually. Helper Tyler's not helping. Helper Tyler needs to learn right now. So, so I remember sitting there, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and, and as the, the children's pastor un, un, unveils what fear represents, false evidence appearing real. And I was like, my mind is blown. You teach me. You know, I, like an eight-year-old kid learning like a sixth grader, and sometimes it's the best way to learn, to be honest. And I started looking, I was like, man, we get all this false data and get all this data, and we basically put it into our own calculator, and it spits out how we're supposed to live our life. All this false evidence, false data, and saying, now here's how I'm going to live. Um, you ever notice how fear just starts to get you worked up, make things bigger than it is? Hit the music real quick. I want to show an illustration. I'm dating Rachel. I get out of the car, and she lives in Toluca Lake. Shouldn't be that scary. It's where Denzel lives, Miley Cyrus. Uh, shout out to Sarah Michelle Gary from Jr. It's a really nice place in, uh, in L.A., and I parked the car and I hear a couple noises and I was like, oh my gosh. And I was down the street, I had to walk a distant ways. Like, is it, is it a big dog? Is it, is it like a murderer? Is it like somebody who's gonna rob me? So I start walking like I'm, I don't care, I'm not afraid. And then like 10 feet in, like I hear another noise and I just start sprinting. And like, I'm, I'm, play, I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta get to, get, get, get to the door. So I run to Rachel's door, knock on the door. She opens, she goes, what's, why are you out of breath? Like, oh nothing, I just had a little asthma attack. Uh, let me in, let me in, let me in, shut the door. Don't even tell her why I sprinted the door. You can turn the music off. I remember sprinting the door, worked myself up. I thought I was literally running for my life. And so then I sit in front of the door where the, her window, she has a window that goes out to the, the main street. And I'm just sitting there talking to her. And she's talking and I'm really looking out the window like, what was that thing chasing me? What was it following? What was following me? What was following me? And so eventually I see the person that was behind me. And it was an older lady with a little small poodle walking the dog. And I was like, oh my gosh when you actually don't see what's chasing you and you actually take your, you, you allow yourself to go there and fear whips you up and you start running around and you start, oh, it just, it dominates you. It, it ruins your emotions. Now, we define what fear is, so what's the antidote to that? What does God give us to counteract fear? It's this thing called faith. So faith really is simply this, and I'll write it down, we're almost done. So what is faith? So we've got to talk about what faith is, too. It's interesting, too. Fear is fascinating. We have words that we use now in our culture. Fear is such a big deal, and we, like, curtail to it. We use words like triggered. We have safe places at schools now for fear. We have every phobia you can imagine. I wrote down some phobias real quick for fear. Uh, there is arachabutterphobia. Butter it's the fear of peanut butter being stuck to the roof of your mouth. Somebody has that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's another one. Nomophobia, the fear of being without your mobile phone. That's a real fear. Okay, yeah, yeah. This is a big one right here. 
Phobophobia, the fear of phobias. I'm afraid of being afraid. These are real phobias, okay? So we got a lot of phobias. Uh, top three, of course, are death, snakes, and public speaking. I'm basically a superhero, whatever, okay. Um, I'm kidding. Wife's not in the service. I'm allowed to make that joke. I will make it at 11 a.m. You get it at the 10 a.m., all right? So what is faith? Faith is simply this. This is what I wrote down. Faith doesn't eliminate the distraction. It shifts the attention. Faith doesn't say, hey, it's going to be easy. It's going to be fine. I don't see anything. No, faith says, I see what's in front of me, but I'm going to shift the attention to something bigger, and his name is Jesus. Let me, let me show you. The one that actually did conquer a giant, his name was David. David said to the Philistines, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Woo! He goes, I get it. I get it. You're coming at me with the most deadly weapons that this world has to offer. And you're a big, bad man. Go, I, I get it. you got the sword. you got, you got all the things this world has to offer. I see it. But I want you to know I see something a little bigger. His name is God. His name is, oh, he is the Lord of Heaven's armies. And can I tell you real quick? He's undefeated. He got more wins than Floyd Money Mayweather. He has more deliveries than DoorDash. This God of mine, he can't be stopped. Okay? He is always on time. And so he describes his undefeated God. So he walks in with courage. Do you ever see him describe himself like, hey, you come out with a spear and a sword? Well, guess what? I come out with you. A little itty-bitty pebble. You watch out, mister. He doesn't say that. He didn't talk about himself. He didn't talk about his stature. You're going to find courage not in what you accomplish or who you are. You've got to find courage in the only place courage can be found, and his name is Jesus. So that's what faith is, okay? So I hope, I hope this is helping you a little bit today. Um, now let me, let me double down on this real quick. So how did David have that much swagger? in that moment? Like, did he just become a faithful person that one day? You know, because the reality is, is you don't pick your giants, your giants pick you. Dave was delivering cheese. He was delivering crackers. That was the day a giant was there. Normal day, giants will show up. And you got to be ready to fight giants and you got to ready to have that swagger. And so the giant shows up out of the blue. Thought it was a normal Tuesday. Boom, my health uh, took, a, took, uh, took a turn for the worse. Well, I thought it was a normal Monday and something happened to my family. Well, I thought it was a normal Thursday. Something happened at work. Giants come out of nowhere. You got to know how to deal with them. So why was David so ready to deal with the giant? I'll show you right here. In 1 Samuel 17, 34, 36, he says, they almost talk him out of it. Like, hey, you're too courageous. You should probably be more concerned. Why don't you have fear? You're weird, okay? He goes, here's why I don't have fear. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Uh, when a lion or bear comes to steal lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If an animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do this pagan Philistine the same. Stop. He goes, hey, I, I never fought something this big, but I fought a lot of little giants on the way, and my God has always delivered, and he will do it again. Everybody say, do it again. Yeah. So he has this do it again kind of vibe. Can I just submit to you real quick? My favorite part of movies is uh, the, um, like the pre-workout scene before the big fight. This was famous in the 80s and 90s. So me and Stephen were hanging out this week, and I think our conversation must have been like, you know, lacking because out of the blue, Stephen goes, what's your favorite sport movie? I was like, wow, it's that boring of a conversation. Okay, let's transition. Uh, my favorite sport movie, uh, Rocky, Off the Dome. You know, so I tell him Rocky, Off the Dome is my favorite sport movie. And so I started thinking about Rocky. And my favorite scene in Rocky is not even the scene where he's boxing. And it's one of the most famous scenes in all of the Rockies. It's where he is running around the city of Philadelphia. Go and play the music. It's this, like, he's just running around. And you're like, why is this so inspiring? You know, and then the song starts singing, like, getting strong now, you know. You're getting strong now. It's like over and over again. Getting strong. Now. I actually work out to this in my gym, by the way. So I'll be doing pull-ups. Getting strong now. Okay. And then he runs up the steps, and then ah, and there's a statue. It's one, the most iconic moment of the movie, and it's not even the fight scene. You can turn it off. I could preach with that in the background the whole time. Get real spiritual. The reality is, 
is the preparation is where the faith is actually cultivated. Faith is not a moment. Faith is a lifestyle. Faith is not a decision. Faith is this commitment to God. I, every day I'm going to pray. When I start to read about God being a healer, I stop and I go, why haven't I prayed for my EOE lately? Why haven't I? You, you, slayed, the, you slayed sickness. I'm going to pray again about sickness. When I read about God destroying just division, I go, why haven't I prayed against division lately? When you start to hang out with your God, you'll take the stones that you have in your hands and you'll slay giants to where faith is just what you do. Faith is who you are. Do you hear what I'm saying today? Some of you, the reason why you don't have a lot of faith is because you haven't allowed your Monday to have some faith in it, your Tuesday to have some faith in it. The little things, giving, I remember the first time I gave God my first tithe, it was $100 making $1,000. It took faith, that was a little giant. $100, I'll, I'll, $100, I'll just share my faith story with you. $100, my first time I started giving finance to the Lord to trust that he, he said that he'll bless the 90% if I give my 10%. And so I started giving my 10%. And I remember like, because I started there, it was a little thing. And as our finances grew, and I married Rachel, she made a lot of money at Sony. I'm just going to be honest. This is one of our biggest faith wins. God called us up to Danville. One of our giants, though, was we we're going to have to leave a lifestyle, and we're going to have to leave over $100,000 a year annually on the table of what we were making and take that big of a pay cut to go work at a church. Because of the way Rachel and I had cultivated our life, we didn't even pray about it. We're like, yep, we're in. Rachel's going to make what? 20 grand annually? Sure. We're in. God told us. If we're going this way, He's moving us from L.A. to, I'll do it. It was, if that would have been our first financial sacrifice for God, I ain't never moving. There's no way. So this past season, I've told God, like, I, I, I've said this multiple times. God, if you, we just got the house. If you ever want me to sell it and do anything with the money, I'd do it. I just, I, Lord, I, everything, everything's yours. My life is yours. I'm, I'm ready to use my life to slay giants. And in this Bay Area, the reason why I'm touching on money is because money's one of the greatest giants in you. Emotionally, it just grabs you. I want to finish with this. Uh, I'm going to bring the keys up. So we uh, described you need to get some courage. Courage isn't found just anywhere. It's found with hanging out with the Lord a lot. It's hanging with being faithful and watching him say things as you do it. But step four, you need to keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I was going to read you number 21, but I don't have time. I'm nine minutes over. Uh, 11 a.m. is going to be kind of awkward. I'm not going to be there on time. Is that cool? All right, let's do it. I ain't cutting service short today. All right. I'm going to preach the gospel. So um, step four in the move is you need to keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, Numbers 21 is this uh, really like interesting story where the Israelites are grumbling and murmuring. And um, so God uh, allows serpents and sends serpents on them. They start getting bit. They're called fiery serpents because when the serpents would bite them, they would actually, their body would get caught on fire on the inside where they would thirst and then they would die of being burned on the inside, basically. Very graphic, very disturbing. And really what God is doing in this moment, if you really study the text and understand the heart of God, is that the Israelites had been bitten by this thing called sin, and sin was doing the same exact thing to their soul. It was burning their soul and making them thirsty for Egypt again. They're saying, give me Egypt. I want slavery again. I want that food they would give me for free. It wasn't free. It cost you your whole life. It's amazing when you're thirsty, you'll drink from a puddle. It's amazing when you're thirsty, you'll drink from things you should never drink from. It's amazing when you're thirsty, you'll date somebody you should never have dated. It's amazing when you're thirsty, you'll do things you never should have done. So they're, they're, he goes, I got to show you physically what's happened to you spiritually. And so the story in Numbers 21, it's a powerful picture. And so he has Moses uh, get a serpent lifted up and says, anybody who fixes their eyes on this serpent, they will be healed. 
And so in John 3, famous uh, uh, chapter, you know, for God so Lord gave his son, uh, only begotten son for all who believe in him, uh, shall not perish, but have eternal life. So uh, for God so Lord, he gives his only son. Okay, boom. John 3, 16. Uh, I, got, I got like two minutes. I'm trying. Okay, so, um, so he gave his son, and Jesus in John 3 says, hey, for people to be saved, Jesus must be raised up like the serpent, and people must gaze on him. And they will also be saved of the same sickness, that is sin, that is making them thirsty for the wrong things in this world. Now, it's a great verse. It's a great thing. But I need to really communicate it on another level today. Uh, I pray this, this hits you in all the right ways. Charles Spurgeon, my favorite preacher of all time, one of my favorite authors, if not my favorite author, 1850 is when he got saved. 1850, he got saved. Young man walking through uh, England, and there was a blizzard, and he was going somewhere else. But the blizzard was so hard and so bad that he had to get out of it or he was going to die. So he walked into a little church with 12 people in it. Church service going on. Pastor got snowed in, could not come. So a shoemaker starts to preach in this service of 12. And he says this. Out of Isaiah, he goes, Look unto the Lord and you shall be saved. It's in Isaiah 42, I believe. 43. Look unto the Lord and be saved. And out of that text, he starts saying, Look at the hands that were on the cross, nailed for you and I. Look at the eyes of mercy and grace as we mock him. Look at the crown on his head. Look at the grief and the pain he's carrying so you and I could have peace and joy. Oh, look at his kindness. Look at that body carry the cross. Look at that Jesus heal lepers. Look at your Savior. Look at the empty grave. Look, look, look. And then as he's preaching, he sees Charles in the back. He says, young man, if you do not look unto God, you will be miserable and wander in the wilderness for the rest of your days. Look unto Jesus, young man. Look unto God. Look at his face. Look at his hands. And Charles Spurgeon said, at that moment, it pierced my bones and my soul, and I looked to God, and I was saved. Can I tell you something real quick, young man, young woman? Can I tell you something real quick, man, woman? Can I tell you? If you do not look to God, you will be miserable, and you will wander in the wilderness for the rest of your days. Can I tell you something, live stream? If you do not look unto God, you will be miserable and you will wander in the wilderness for the rest of your days. Look to God. Church, this will not, if you get nothing else from this message, you will not move this week unless you wake up on Monday and the first thing you look to is your God. You look at his hands, you look at his face on the cross, you look at the empty grave. You look at him come to you and give you a hug and say, I bless you today. My face shines upon you today. Let's go tackle the day. Grab my hand. Holy Spirit with us. We will move today. You start looking that way. You will pray different. You will love different. You will not be a God who goes in the wilderness. You'll not be a person who wanders in the wilderness, but you'll be a person that moves. Look to God. Bow your heads. I don't know if it's your first time, your second time in church, but it's the first time you heard the gospel message. And you've been challenged to look to God for the first time. You've had the Bridget Jones story. You've been trying to find self-assuredness, worth in an accommodation, uh, worth in accomplishment. But today, you heard the gospel message that Jesus came to bless you because the only way that can happen is somebody had to die on a cross, his name was Jesus, so you could receive that blessing. Oh, if you want to say yes to Jesus with every head bowed and eye closed on the count of three, would you raise your hand? One, two, three. Raise it up and raise it high. I see you, and I see you. Come on now. Every service, people are getting saved. We celebrate that. Super Bowl Sunday, February 13th. You'll never forget it. Your spiritual birthday. God saved some people today. Online, if you want to say yes, we can clap for that. If you want to say yes to Jesus online, write yes in the chat. You want to look to God. Sleepy Christians, open your eyes. Sleepy Christians, stop looking at the world. 
Sleepy Christians, start looking at your calling, your purpose. Start opening your eyes to the things of God. I love you. I'm really late. I got to go. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.